What's up, everybody? I am ex-NFLer turned yogi, Eben Britton, working my way through this mystical thing called life. It is an absolute blessing to be with you all on this magnificent day. I hope this finds you standing in your truth, standing in your power. God knows the world needs you. The universe needs you. We need you. Today's episode is with one of my great mentors through my football career, a great friend. He is a former NFL offensive tackle, 12-year veteran, Glenn Parker. He played for the Bills, the Giants, and the Chiefs during his incredible football career. And he's a magnificent example of transitioning your life out of one career into another one. Um, this conversation was so rich, so powerful. There's so much good stuff happening in it. Uh, there's some triggering things that, that might, uh, be pain points for you may or may not. I encourage you as always keep an open mind in this time of incredible divisiveness. It is of the utmost importance that, we are able to continue to communicate and work our way through this thing to get to the other side. Because at the end of the day, it's about us, us coming together. Can we do that? A lot of people in this world feel unheard, feel unacknowledged, feel unappreciated. And much of that is exacerbated by our political leaders, so-called political leaders, our media and the illusions that have been drawn around us with no other purpose than to divide us. So I encourage you, have an open heart, have an open mind. I think you will enjoy this and get a lot out of it, especially my ex-football, ex-athlete brothers and sisters. Glenn is a wealth of knowledge and wisdom and insight. So without further ado, if you're looking for some fantastic fungi to put a little pep in your step, head over to www.wake.net. Use code EBBINFLOW for 10% off and free shipping on your next order. They have lion's mane, cordyceps, reishi, turkey tail, a comprehensive health product. It's fantastic stuff. I highly recommend it. Throw it in your coffee. Take it whenever you feel so inclined. I live by it. Lots of love to you guys. Enjoy this episode. Peace. You have unlocked the eternal link to internal source. The key of imagination. Your admission. Access to the enlightened dimension. A gateway at the junction of darkness and light. The place at which the chaos of our conditioned frame of mind give way to a life in constant flux, only to be mastered through vigilant discipline. Peaceful times may come, testing times may go. This is the ebb and flow. What's up, my big brother, my mentor? Glenn Parker, it's great to be with you, man. Oh, man, so good to see you in person again. It's been so long. We've been separated too much. I know, it's true, it's true. It feels 
really good for me to be in Tucson and like we've been talking about I'm I am I'm looking to in the next six months figure out how to just be here because I think I'm kind of done with California yeah you know and I think a lot of people are that's why real estate's spiking here like crazy it's a good town it's artsy it's got the university it's young it's vibrant and uh Unlike Los Angeles, within you know within twenty minutes, you can be in the middle of nowhere out here and and find solace in the desert or the mountains, uh, streams, whatever you want to do is here for you. Mm-hmm. And in reality, the beach, you know, you can go to Mexico in four hours. You can be in San Diego in a five hour drive. Yeah. Um, so it's all there. It just you, you know you're you're buying a different lifestyle than the one you had. That's all. Yeah, yeah, it's so true, man. It's it's so true, and yeah. I mean, I I love the desert. I love the mountains. I love the fresh air. The air is clean. In L.A., the air is dirty. Yeah. I just had my best friend from college who I played with. He just came over to the house. He's thinking about moving after another year. He wants to retire. And he's like, it's just so crisp and clean here. I can breathe. It's just, it doesn't feel heavy. It just feels great. Yeah. Yeah. You know. We don't want to, we don't want to ruin that, but you and he are welcome. I know, I know. <laughs> don't not too many people should yeah, move here. Exactly, it's not it's, that great. It's got a lot of bad, a yeah. lot of bad. Crime is crazy. Yeah, Just it's insane. <laughs> um, well, man, it's so good to be with you, and uh, you were super influential and inspirational during my career here as well, a football well, player. Well, thank you. I take that as a real compliment, considering uh, how well you've done. Thanks, man. I, I really appreciate that. And even really your life after and who you've, how you've reimagined yourself and reconfigured yourself in life after football. You played 12 years in the NFL. Yeah. Bills, Giants, Chiefs. Bills, Bills for seven, then the Chiefs for three, and then the Giants my last couple. Yep. That's a hell of a career, man. Yeah, as you know, you know, it's, it's not easy to stick around that long. No. And, um, it, you know, I kind of coasted in because I was so new to football and took it for granted a little bit the first couple of years. And then once you learn how much the game means to you and how much you really enjoy playing it, uh, maybe not the people, maybe not the process, but just the, the, the visceral game itself, mm-hmm. you don't want to let that go. Yeah. And I didn't want to ever let it go as, as much as I could. Did you – what were some of your injuries – Wow. <laughs> we could go I on. I love here. that. So, well, I guess because you're in great shape, you know, now. Well, the, you know, they say how you treat your body in your 40s is how you'll live in your 50s and 60s. So uh-huh. I'm starting to have a lot of surgeries. So probably tell some stories. About your 20s Yeah, about my and 20s and 30s. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it, honestly, if we were to just run from the bottom up, uh, I don't know, five, six broken toes. I've had an ankle replacement already on my right ankle. I've got a broken right fibula. Uh, I've had 14 surgeries on my left knee plus a replacement. I've had at least six on my right. I've had um, four abdominal surgeries, including groin releases for a sports hernia in- injury. Um, I've broken multiple ribs. Um, <laughs> I've, uh, I've, I smashed my elbow, ripped the bicep tendon and the capsule. Um, I've had two surgeries on that. I've broken every finger multiple times and dislocated them all multiple times. Um, let's see. <laughs> broken one. Uh, I've just... Uh, dislocated shoulder um, or separated shoulders, AC joints. Uh, let's see. I've just had spinal fusion on three vertebrae. Christ. Uh, a couple concussions. You know, you can go on. It just keeps yeah, going. Yeah. You play oh that long, you're going to get them. Dude. That's it. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. it. That's part of the gig. It's part of the gig. And you know, you know what's funny too is without that, it's it's 
I know people that come out healthy and they're great. I don't, I don't know. For some reason to me, that pain's a reminder of the fun I had. I just uh-huh. love it. To me, it's, it's like a little scar that just sticks with me forever. I love it. I appreciate um, that. Because yeah. you know, the sensation you never get when you're done playing, as you know, Evan, is you don't get hit anymore. Yeah. You can still hit things. That's not the same. Getting mm-hmm. hit yeah. tells you you're alive. Totally, man. Yeah, we were talking about that when uh, my family and I were back here for Thanksgiving and we were talking and you said, Eb, what is, what is it that you miss about it? And I said, and right away, I was like, I miss the pain. You know, I miss the pain. And for Thanksgiving dinner, I like burned myself. I cut myself. And these were two little nicks. And, I, and even when I got them, at the time I was telling you about this, I was like, yeah, I miss that pain. You know, I miss that feeling. You miss that because yeah. you can still, you can go to the gym, you can get into boxing, you can get into martial arts like you've gotten into jujitsu, right? right? right yeah. Um, and you can get that, that masculine testosterone exertion out. Because I think as men in particular, we need that. We need Very to hunt. Much so. you know? Very much so. We need to hunt. That's part of our well-being. It's not toxic. No. Masculinity oh, is God. real. It's who we are. Yeah. We have to embrace that part of us, whether it's hunting. Like I tell my high school players, the football field is the only place other than the military or prison where you're not toxic. Uh-huh. You get to be who you were born to be. Mm. Go do it. Yeah. And that's freeing. That's oh. a really good feeling for men. Oh, my God, dude. The toxic masculinity thing. Well, I think our culture just... There's a very strange thing in our culture where I think it appears to me, I don't, this doesn't really feel like this, you know, some people might go, this is a conspiracy theory, but it feels as though mainstream media wants to eradicate masculinity. And the problem with that is in the universe, there's masculine and feminine throughout everything. Absolutely. It's positive and negative charges, you know, and we life cannot exist without it. The yin and yang, right? Yeah. You have to have that. Without one, if you only have two of the same thing, it spins out of control. That exactly. gets out of balance. A tire out of balance spins off your off your vehicle. Mm. You have to have the balance of the masculine and feminine. And you're absolutely right. It does feel like a conspiracy theory, but what it is 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 I think in everything we look at in today's society, it's the problems we have are a product of how comfortable we are. Oh, my God, Glenn, you're speaking my language. We, we bitch about the stupidest things. Like, oh, I want this pronoun or that. There are people all over the world bitching about the fact they'd like maybe to eat a little something yeah. a day or maybe their kids could eat or find clean water. And we're bitching about pronouns? Are you kidding me? Something's oh wrong. God. I agree, man. I agree. I'm reading this book right now. I know... Uh, you're a big reader. Yeah. And I feel as though many young people have a difficult time sitting down and reading a book these days. I make it a point to constantly be reading something. I'm reading this book, Empire of the Summer Moon. Have you ever read it? No. About the Comanches. Oh, uh, Empire of the August Moon. Yes. I believe it's August Moon. No, Maybe no, it's Summer, summer moon. moon. I have. I read the book. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's fantastic. Quana Parker. Yeah who was uh, one of the famed war chiefs of the Comanches. And it's just all about the settling of the Western frontier and in Texas and New Mexico and Oklahoma and that whole area, Northern Mexico. And I'm reading this book and I'm just thinking to myself, my God, if there's any lesson to be taken away from this, it's how ridiculously comfortable we are and how naive we are about the pain the struggle, the strife, the effort it's taken to get us to this point. 
if we could at least acknowledge that while we're sitting on our on our couch watching Netflix, ordering Postmates, you know, having opulent meals delivered right to our door, if we could at least acknowledge the amount of pain and effort it's taken to get us here, that would be something. But people have no clue even about that. Like, for instance, white settlers coming into the frontier. Build a whole home. You have your entire family. At any given moment, Comanche raiders could come in, rape, kill, hatchet, scalp every member of your family, take the children and women away as captives, and you're obliterated. You're gone. And that goes back thousands of years. Right. Every civilization. Of course. Not, of not, course. Yeah. And that's, you know, and that's that's really this thing, you know. It, it's It's so fascinating that we've just... We want to nullify our history. And Very we, much. People and, want to. And it's like, wait, how did we get here? You know, how did we get to this point? As a reader, there's a great book, and maybe you've read it. It was written back in the 80s. Um, I'm actually reading it now, and it's a phenomenal treatise on the closing of the American mind by Bloom. And mm. It talks about how we have a loss of understanding of the classics of literature mm. that ground us in right and wrong outside of the university system that ground us in these stories, these epic things that have happened to tell us who we are in time yeah. and place. Mm. And so like a Frenchman could not understand not being a Frenchman. You can move to France. You can live there 40 years. You will never be a Frenchman in their eyes because you have not, you do not have the language, the terroir, the literature, the background that they have. And, right. and that's okay. That's, uh -huh. not, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. But the one thing that grounds Americans and always has is our popular myths and legends. But we are now a country full of iconoclasts that seek to destroy those myths and less lessons and, and t or legends, pardon me, and teach us that we're not as good, we're not that, and for what purpose? Right. Without those things, we lose a collective identity uh -huh. and we become just people who are really truly unaware of the world and unaware of the people around us. Painting your hair rainbow colors is not being different <laughs> being different that's is cool if, if you want to do if you that. want to do it that's fine that's but, great but that's that's a very shallow substitute for truly being different and yourself and yourself yeah. it's just you're following the whatever trend is or opposing whatever trend you perceive well yeah totally it's man. a great book you ought to check it out they've reprinted it's, it's sold millions of copies it's called the closing of the american mind that's on my list i've got a stack of books over there i'm working through man. Yeah, yeah, me too Always. yeah yeah um Dude, it's so awesome uh, to just hang out with you and, and spit this. Um, so really, what I wanted to get you on here for, and I mean, we could talk for hours and hours about all kinds of good stuff, cultural stuff. and um, One more point I had on that. Yes. There's so much anger in young people. Oh. There's so much anger. Because they've never had been punched in the face. They. And that leads to this this complete sense of there's no sense of self. There's no sense of truth. There's And you're angry that no one's recognizing you in your true identity. You know, I want to be really famous now. Yeah. I want to be an Instagram influencer now. I don't want to work, do, though. I don't want to do – I just want to do the things I want be famous for. It. Why am I not famous? Yeah. You know, people, there's no such thing as an overnight sensation. It just yeah. doesn't happen. Yeah. People work their tails off to get somewhere. Mm -hmm. But we have angry youth that somehow think they're entitled to be, their opinion to be counting right now. And it, uh. it doesn't. Yeah. 
My yeah. opinion doesn't count. Right, <laughs> I mean, right. Unless it's my household and something yeah. I built. Yeah. No, absolutely. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> exactly. You know? I no think, one I, cares. I, I, when somebody says, well, I have no respect for you, and Mike Rose sends it up, he goes, what would ever make you think I crave or care about your respect? Oh, my <laughs> God. Know? I it's saw like, that. I love that, <laughs> dude. Perfect. Yeah, he was like, what fascinates me so much, Jennifer, is that you think I care about having your respect. I love that. To finish that point, though, about young people and anger and what they haven't done, one thing, and and all of this that we've just talked about, you know, Orwell once said, and I'm going to paraphrase because I don't have the exact quote, but it's, you know, I sleep well at night knowing there are men capable of doing bad things on my behalf. Oh. Um, I surround myself. I grew up in a military family, even though none of uh, my generation didn't serve, but my father did. All my uncles, uh, career men, mm-hmm. um, my grandfather, the whole nine yards. Um, I surround myself to this day. I have very good friends that are ex Navy SEALs or Rangers because their truth, uh-huh. their reality is so vastly different than mine. It grounds me in the reality that I've done nothing. Yeah. I don't have, I don't, I don't have, I worry, I don't worry. The things I worry about, are nothing when they're worrying about their life on a daily basis in the backwater of Afghanistan or whatever. Totally, man. They've they've lived it. They've walked it. They've seen it. Their eyes are different. And so whatever they consider important starts to take a little more importance in my world because if that's what they consider important, that's what's probably more truly important than how I – that I get upset somebody doesn't call me the right pronoun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, man. There's a lot of confusion, and uh, it's been – it's it's fascinating because it just seems like we're in this, it's a matrix of thought, you know, we're in this weird paradigm of thought in America that seems to be fueled by mainstream media, seems to be fueled by maybe institutions. I mean, the more I look at it, and there's a lack of freedom of thought, there's a lack of intellectualism, there's a lack of... Um, freedom of expression. Freedom of expression. Definitely. You know, it used to be said, uh, I disagree with what you're saying, but I'll go to my grave to support your right to say it. Well, that's no longer true. Yeah. I disagree with what you're saying. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you fired. You're not going to be able to have a job. Your kids are going to go hungry and I'm going to own you because I'm such a special warrior. Yeah. You know, and, and luckily we're starting to see a backlash, particularly among comedians uh-huh. and some of the, and, yeah. and some of our, our cultural uh, icons. And when I say that, you know, surprisingly, how many of them are from England where they have a much uh, where they have hate speech laws and all this or Canada where they have hate speech laws Uh and they realize the danger of it. Uh And they're starting to come forward now and say, hey, this cancel culture cannot continue, guys. It's a it's a mob mentality we got to get rid of. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Super. It's very poignant, man, for where we're at right now. And um it's good to see people standing up out of it. I don't think it's, I don't think, I think it's, my hope is that it's a phase and it appears to me to be a phase uh, of evolution Boy, in the American so. ethos. Well, it's not sustainable, right? It's just not sustainable it's, because the people claiming to be the compassionate ones have no compassion in reality. Yeah, you it's, you're right. It's not sustainable, but it's how much damage can it do to the host before it dies? Uh, yeah, some yeah. parasites kill the host and kill themselves. Oh well, you know, <laughs> I guess maybe we'll be on that ride too, man. I don't know. Well, Glenn, I mean, so really, I want to talk about re-identifying yourself, finding yourself in life after football, because as you attested to maybe ten minutes ago, you come out of your football career physically decimated. 
perhaps in my case, I was physically, emotionally, even spiritually decimated and really had to start from ground zero. Yeah. And that has been a difficult process. And I feel now, you know, I'm six years out of my career. I'm just maybe two years ago, I started to find myself again and figure out what it is I'm going to do with my life, who I am, finding my voice. And you talk about, you do a lot of speaking. You've been, you're a broad, you've been a broadcaster. You've done a lot of things in your life after football. And I'm curious to know what was your transition out of football like and how did you go about picking up those pieces? So first I had an easier transition than most for two reasons. One, I had not played football till I was 20. So I had a mm. whole life. I had to learn to make football my life. So I had that transition already once. And then to come out of it where your entire being is football. Yep. I was, I, I remember talking about this, I think years ago, cause you, when I was mentoring you at the U, you were very much more like me than some of the other players. When I say that you had a very strong friend group outside of football. Mm. That's an important part, particularly as you get in the NFL, your friend group cannot be football players only because you, you get into this um, tautological reasoning all the time of everything uh -huh. you do comes back on why you're doing it. And, you know, it's just, it's a circular thing that just, it's an echo chamber yep. where you're going to hear the same things over and over. You need to branch out and have friends of every different ilk and stripe to keep you grounded that you're not a superstar. Mm. Um, that was a big part of it. And then obviously I got to choose when I was done mm. and that is very tough because most people don't, mm -hmm. whether it be the, the college guy who gets cut from his first pro team to a guy who makes it three, four, five, six. Unless you're the guy that says, I can't play anymore, that's a tough transition. Mm. And then the third thing that comes into that is, uh, I know some people say I was depressed after football, I didn't know what to do. For me, it was anxiety. Mm. I had always been, I had been institutionalized to the NFL. Yeah, You will be here now, You at this time, you're gonna have these meetings, you're gonna do these workouts, you're not allowed to do this, and you're not allowed to do that, and, and it takes up all of your day, all the time, 24-7, year-round. You're lucky when you get, hey, we're, the, the Super Bowl's over, you get three weeks to do what you want. Well, those three weeks, as you know, you're working out. You don't have time to lay around, because mm. you're going to lose your job. Yep. And I didn't want to lose my job. So, you, yeah, I might go see friends in California or, or whatnot and have fun, but you still work out every day, because it's, it's always in the back of your head. So, when you, all of a sudden you're you're faced with this decision of where do I want to live? I'd never been able to pick where I wanted to live before. Mm. What are you going to do? I don't know. <laughs> That's anxiety to me. It was like, oh my God. Yeah. I felt like Brooks in Shawshank Redemption. Like, oh my God, what am I doing here? I'm bagging groceries. I don't know. And, and I, I had already prepared a transition into broadcasting because that was kind of my, my major originally at the U I had done radio show. I had my own radio show in uh -huh. Buffalo, my own TV show in Kansas City. So I knew where I wanted to go. And I, of course. Overnight, That's really important. Yeah, because, you know, yeah. overnight sensation. A lot of guys get that chance out of the NFL and they're gone in a year because they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't prepare. Uh -huh. Well, when you're doing your own radio show every day, you ha or every you know, week, you have to be prepared for that show. When you're doing a television show, you better know what you're doing. I had laid the groundwork. I had done free broadcasting of high school games in Kansas City, so I knew how to broadcast a game. Mm. Uh, and I'd drive through the night, myself and Wheel Shields, you know, the Hall of Famer now. We would drive oh, through yeah. the night free, go to some game somewhere in the middle of Kansas or Missouri, call this game and drive home. And it was a way 
to prepare ourselves for life after football. And so that was an easy transition for me, but it was the anxiety of where, when, how, how uh-huh. do I go about it? Cause I, you know, football's easy. You know what to do. Yeah. Constantly. Like, right. I'm transitioning again. Now I transitioned out of broadcast the last three or four years, did more speaking. I've done a lot more coaching. I've been asked to do more podcasts. I, there's an anxiety there. I don't know how to set up all this and put together a podcast and put myself out there, but I'm not afraid to do it. So I'll do it. Yeah. So that transition, I think everybody has a different transition out mm. and everybody still faces the same thing that they've been institutionalized that sport. Yeah. So what's it going to be? Uh huh. That's super powerful, man. And as you're talking, I'm being reminded of conversations we had early on where you would tell me, Eb, figure out what you like outside of football, man. Like do stuff on your off time in the off season, go and do things and, you know, put yourself out there. And I got you into out. surfing, as I recall. Totally, yeah. man. Are you I still s- paddling out now and then? Uh, you know, I surfed for an entire spring in Jacksonville, yeah. right up until I blew my disc out okay. on my back, which kind of killed my life for about sure. two years. Um, but my daughter has started surfing nice and she's got me getting the itch back in Malibu to go surf with her. Yeah. So I love surfing. Yeah. And and surfing was such a powerful training tool for football. It's like you go out, you battle mother nature and then you get on the football field and you're battling a 250 pound dude. It's like, this is easy. My, my old, uh, some of my friends from high school who also played football, but I didn't said, you know, you prepared yourself in a way for the game that we never did because you were out surfing. Surfing Mm -hmm. is a world in flux. Yeah. Everything's moving. Everything's timing. You you have to know, know where you're lining up. You know, it's one thing when you're at a point break or something where the lineup's always the same, but when you're sitting at a beach break where it's constantly moving, you have to make sure your timing's right, your position, all these things that come into play on a, on a football field mm. that you probably don't even need, realize it until you get older. You're like, man, I, I, no wonder I can still surf because my timing's still there. I still know uh-huh. how to attack at the right angle and get where I got to be. You know, it's, it's in your cells. Yeah, it's there. Yeah, yeah, totally, man. Um, but also that thing, everyone has to transition, you know, and you see the guys, I know you have ex-teammates, former teammates, old friends from the game, who are probably struggling and not doing well, maybe even had some friends die. I, I've known a few guys who sure. who have already passed, uh, and I know a, a handful of guys who are really struggling. Something to me, you know, because there's such a there's such a spiritual component to what you're saying in that you're not getting stuck in this identity, you know, and always being fluid and maybe that comes back to your surfing mentality man and or what you learned what the cells of your being learned out there in the ocean is to constantly be in flow with the universe yeah there's a lot to that because you know there is the you know to get all not to get metaphysical or whatnot but get metaphysical brother if, if you i know you, you're not that guy that's, well, that's you more know what, my thing but, but you know what part of the my life transition the last two years and improving me as a as a man and as a father and as a husband has been to find what it is that I'm missing in mm. life. And one of the th- areas I, I read a book, a very simplistic book, but it opened my eyes to some things which has led me down a rabbit hole of exploration. It's called Codename God. Mm. And it's, it was, it's a physicist who wrote a book about, uh, he's a laser physicist, multiple patents, mm-hmm. millionaire, um, or billionaire. I don't know. No, but he, 
he grew up in India. His father was an advisor to Gandhi. And he, through his intellect and his perseverance and meeting people, he has moved, he got, was able to get to a university in India, get to UCLA and do these things. And he explained some things in physics that go on that up until the last eight months had never been proved. Uh-huh. It was a theoretical thing that originally when it was put out there, Albert Einstein said, if this is true, it destroys all of our knowledge of the universe. Wow. And it's now been proven true. Mm-hmm. And by the way, Albert Einstein came around to this way of thinking uh-huh. before it was ever proven. He said, yes, this has to be so. Right. And um, it proves that there's a, there's, a, there's a, what do you call it, a fabric, a weave, a pattern. Uh-huh. There's this thing out there that all people, all objects, everything's a part of. Uh-huh. It's, it, there, it's possible that things travel faster than the speed of light that tra- mm. because we, in, you know, there's a consciousness, consciousness studies going on where yes. the, the things, it's, it's, I'm thinking of you and you call me. Speed of thought. Yeah, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, totally. It's, it sounds, to the concrete mind, it sounds, oh, come on. Uh-huh. But if you allow yourself to open up to it, it's amazing some of the things that can happen and you start feeling this, and is it always perfect? No, because we don't know it yet. You know, uh-huh. it's, it's like looking at a, ma- a map of the stars. I know where they're at, but I can't go see them yet. Right. I think it's there. I really mm-hmm. do, and I think it's been proven now enough in the last eight months to go. They, they've done these. One of the one of the big experiments is a, a photon. If it's split, a photon is not. We don't know what a photon is until it until it's observed. Uh huh. It doesn't yes. have a shape. Exactly. That's so they, the nature of physics. Right. And so they said, well, then what should be is if we split a proton a photon, pardon me, and no matter the distance or time, when one part is observed, the other part should be the identical thing. Right. So they had no way of doing this, and they finally were able to split photons and observe them on one end and have a camera on the other. And instantaneously, they became the same thing. Uh-huh. And that's that's pretty amazing in, yeah. in understanding that theory becomes reality right there. Like, holy cow, this really did it. So, and I'm not smart enough to even relay these thoughts, but it got me thinking. It got me thinking a lot deeper, a lot about the stuff I don't know. Uh-huh. Because, you know, what we don't know fills volumes. What we know fills oh, a, yeah. a needle head. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, absolutely. It's like, come on. And I know yeah. that it's true of me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely, man. That's the, yo- that's the quintessential yogic principle is that it's always coming back to I know nothing. Right. You know. I, I know nothing. But you, I'm glad you said it because when people say all the time, one of the things I speak about is failure and fear of failure. Uh-huh. If you go into a situation and admit you know nothing, it's amazing what you can learn. Oh, totally, man. Too many yeah. people go, oh, I got it. Oh, I know. Yeah, I, no, I know. You don't. You're fucked. <laughs> you're done. The you, you're, you will that. not grow. You will not learn. It's You're done. And isn't that going back to the cultural issues of the day? That's the problem. Everybody knows, yeah. man. And yet nobody can even read a book. Right. You know? Oh, I know because the news told me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I read it in the New York Times, so it must be true. It's got to be true. Yeah. Um, well, I saw this thing. Uh, this was this was probably last year sometime, right before the Hall of Fame. They were doing the new Hall of Fame, NFL Hall of Fame induction and announcing who the, the inductees were going to be. And there was this receiver from the Cowboys who's probably during Roger Staubach's era. And... They were filming him. I don't know why I, you know, I guess it's a big deal. But um, they're filming him with his family watching the announcement of the new Hall of Fame inductees. And he, his name doesn't get called. And it's apparent that he hasn't been called many times now. Right. When he's been expecting it. 
And his reaction was so tragic to me. He banged his fist on the table and said, look what they're doing to me. Look at what they're doing to me again. And I was like, man, you gave everything you had to this game, and now you're letting them take everything else from you. There you go. You know? You know, it, it, um, you just said something that's really powerful, um, taken another way. Look what they're doing to me. Nobody does anything to you. Yeah. Oh my you God. have 100% responsibility for everything you do. Um, that's the Jack Canfield principles of understanding that there's an event. Uh-huh. And your response to any event dictates the outcome. Yeah, it's it, it, You know, I'm walking down the street and a piano falls on me. And, oh, my God, I can't believe you did this. I should have been walking on the other side of the street. Now, granted, I could win lawsuits. I can do all that. And I can prove that guy was not. But in reality, I chose to walk where I was going to walk. Mm. Mm-hmm. And if I can get that in my head yeah. and I can start understanding, I can stop blaming others for everything that happens. And, and it starts with taking just a couple percentage more responsibility points a week out of your life. Totally. And pretty soon you're responsible for everything. You go, oh, man, I screwed up. I'm so sorry. I, that's me. That was on me. I screwed up. Or this didn't, I didn't get what I want in life because I screwed up. And once you can do that, you've got power on your side, discipline on your side, and everything opens up to you. Yep. Yep. So many people might listen to that and go, no, man, because it's everybody else's fault. You know, it's this part, it's part of, it's interesting, isn't it? It's so interesting. The more you hash this out, the more you get it into the open and you bring all of this into the light. It's all interconnected. Our comfort, our victim mentality, this thing that someone else is going to come save me. Someone's going to come take care of me. And from the, the mass scale, it really comes down to the individual level. Right. You know, like we're talking about here, man. I mean, you got done. You were one of the lucky guys who you wrote your destiny in football. Right? Yeah. I mean, so. you know, you battled the injuries. You battled through the pain. You loved the game. You spent t- fucking 12 years. That's a Herculean effort, man. It's a long time. But I you mean, know what? I could have had a better career. It's on me. Uh, I, I made the decisions that that, that I love that didn't dude. make me a pro bowler. I made the decisions that you know those, those or a hall of oh fame. That's not on anybody but me. Yeah, yeah, totally, man. Um, so how does one? How do you? Uh, you know, those are the feelings. It's painful. The transitions are painful. The transformation is painful. To evolve and grow as a human being is painful. To take responsibility for your life, for yourself, that's painful. Or it can be at first. It can be. The first time. I think the first, I remember back to elementary school, I had these great teachers in Brooklyn and they would say, try to think, it only hurts the first time. (laughs) You know, I've always loved that, that line. It's like a book looking at the table of contents. It looks looks like, oh, this is, this is too much for me. Look at this table of contents. Yeah. Start at the first page. Yeah, right. Reading. Right. Just start reading. Yep. Soon the book's over. Yep. But, and I, I love to read, as you know, so that's not an issue for me, but a lot yeah, of people don't like to of read. Of course. Um, you know, and I, I think all these things you're talking about starting over, you can sum up in reality that it's, okay, you know what, if I go in and first off, foremost, I don't fear failure mm-hmm. and I admit I know nothing, right? I can do that. Mm. I can take responsibility for myself. I can, I can implement that pretty easy and understand that, that why do you care what other people think? Mm-hmm. that's one of the, you know, my dad left me with a great one one time and he said, you know, most people walk into a room and they're worried about what everybody in the room thinks of them. Mm. He goes, when you walk in a room, guess what those people are thinking? 
I wonder what that guy thinks of me. Yep. We're all so selfish and we think we're the center of the world's attention. Nobody cares. That's so true. Nobody's thinking about you. Nobody cares what you think. That's you know? a magical realization. Yeah, it's like, holy cow, that makes it simple. I was, I've been able to do whatever I wanted my whole life. You know, In high school, I, I, I dressed up in armor and hit people with sticks. Yeah. It was fun. I loved it. I still have friends from that group. And I met brilliant, amazing people. That's the thing. I met artists. I met neurosurgeons. I met lawyers and doctors. And I was friends with these people when I was 15 through about the age of 18 or 19 before I started playing football. And I learned critical thinking and uh-huh. understanding art and finding out some every person no matter who they are has something beautiful about them and worthy of your respect and it, it opens up doors in life I love that. learning those things it, so it, it's a way of saying it, it, nobody cares what you th- and why do you care what other people think of you when i went out for yeah. football i didn't care that i might fail yeah yeah you know i had incredible mentors uh-huh. that taught me the game yeah if i'd have worried about failure in football to start I'd have never played. I'd have never gone out. I would never had the life I have. Yeah. Especially O-line, man. (laughs) Not a lot of love there. Yeah. (laughs) Nobody, guess what? If I cared what they think, I wouldn't have played offensive line. Yeah, exactly. We're always wrong, remember? (laughs) Oh, my God, man. It's always the O-line's fault, and it's never because, and none of the credit goes to them. Never. If if things are great, even though we all know, if you know football, it's all about the trenches. Um. Well, man, this is so rich. This is so this is so awesome. I think we're having two different conversations at the same time. One is how to re-identify yourself in life after football. And the other is how to re-identify yourself in life after transition. Any, yeah, any or, transition. Yeah, yeah, in life through transition. Um, for our football brothers out there, for the young football guys, I mean, I feel like the game is changing constantly. It's even different from when I played. I think the game, the, the X's and O's of the game remain. Are the they, same. They're circular. They yep. just keep coming around. Yeah. It's the mentality, the mentality. of the players, yes. the, 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 way, the way people think about the game. That is changing. That's drastically. Yeah. So let's talk about that r- real quick because I wrote an article about this last season because I was struck by – how many guys, how many stories there are of guys requesting trades and expressing their displeasure with the team they're on? And I'm thinking to myself, that was unheard of even when I played, mm-hmm. you know, 10, 10 years ago. And, you know, a part of me thinks there's something good in that, this empowerment of NFL football players, because I feel like, you know, Let's let's face it, Glenn, and maybe you have some thoughts on this too, Glenn. I'd be curious to know your thoughts, but the NFL is very much a players versus the owners league. Very much. And it's an owners league. It is. The owners run it. They right. fucking, you know, the whole thing is protect the shield. It's a privilege for you to be here. When I got in the league, you couldn't change teams. Remember that? Before uh-huh. free agency. Now, it came up while I was playing. I was a beneficiary of it. So, I am all for these players having the power to say what they want and do what they want. Now, with that comes the responsibility. You say something stupid, mm. you're going to be penalized for it. You say you want to get traded, okay, get traded. You go to the worst team. You said you wanted So understand, <laughs> everything is your responsibility. Uh-huh. And that's where I think the message is lost on a lot of players. They think, I'm powerful. I'm a popular guy. I have a million Twitter followers. I'm mm. going to tell this team what I want to do. Okay, that's fine. But understand, you have to live with those consequences then. Because mm. you don't get to control every part of that process. Yep. You get to control your message coming out, and that's it. Yeah. How much of this do you think is due to the influence of social media? I think it's huge. Yeah. 
you know, there's a lot of good to social media for uh, for anybody, but particularly when it comes to athletes or anybody whose words are constantly interpreted by someone else. Uh-huh. Because you're talking about athletes have always gone through the press. That's right. who covered you. Right. That's who had access. Social media, we do away without the reporter. We do mm. away with the reporters. We don't have to worry about them now. My thoughts on the game come directly from my mouth. You can't edit them. Uh-huh. Unless so you're Facebook, and then you can't. <laughs> that's a whole right, other thing. Exactly. Um, or Twitter. Yeah, or Twitter. But, yeah. but there's that 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 interconnection with fans that's real, that the fans love, that players love. Mm-hmm. And that's probably a good thing overall. I, I should say it's a good thing on the surface. Uh-huh. When you get deeper, player, so a lot of players are not ready for that level of involvement and yeah. criticism from sources. They're only used to hearing boo. Uh-huh. Now they're getting real words, and they're getting real-time words and feedback. Yep. And that's that responsibility, I think. You really have to be very careful how much you engage with that because you're going to hear things you don't like, and if that's going to affect you, then you probably shouldn't even get involved with it. Mm. Yeah. And I don't think it should affect you, right? Because I don't care what people think of me. Right. So I'm going to put it out there. <laughs> right. Well, it's like you said. It comes with – there. there's a lot of emotional maturity that needs to come along with that power and we know most nfl players are not really emotional very mature (laughs) they're still 14 most of them yeah definitely of course i mean all men are to some extent let's face it yeah yeah i i guarantee you all the things you liked at 12 13 14 you still like oh definitely you just like more things yeah 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 Yeah. yeah. everything i liked at that age i still like Uh uh-huh i just i've grown in some of my tastes that's all yeah but most of those guys haven't even grown in their tastes i hate to hate to be a blanket statement but you go you really just said that? You really just put that on? And, and then you're going to react? Oh, my God. <laughs> no, it's true. It's, it's absolutely true, man. Well, I think what we're, what, what's being revealed through this is, once again, it comes back to having balance. You know, So if the NFL players are going to be empowered to speak their truth, to let it all out there, that comes with some responsibility. That comes with a need for humility as well. Like you said, I mean, how powerful is it? And this isn't to say that we should all walk around saying, I'm not, I'm not worthy, you know, right. I, I'm a fucking, you know, humble piece of shit. But yeah, that's, the false humility is as right, bad right, right. as everything else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But to have a sense of humility to say, I recognize my role in this team, I recognize my role as a leader. That being said, some things are very much not working for me right now in this situation my my for instance we could take one example that's current Carson Wentz and Mm -hmm. Doug Peterson's relationship right and I could see how that would be totally fractured at this stage at this point yeah Doug Peterson throughout the season has said no Carson's our guy Carson's our guy and then all of a sudden what do they do of course they bench Carson and they start Jalen Hurts and how do you think Jalen Hurts and Peterson relationship is oh that's fun too because he does not trust that head coach ever again. No. I don't care what was said Definitely behind not. the closed doors. He cannot trust him. I, I totally agree. I, I Watching that game with my dad this weekend, I was like, oh, my God, dude. If they thought that Jalen Hurts was was the guy of the future, they just killed that. Right. Because now Jalen's going, the fuck? I would have understood that maybe if that guy they put in was another rookie and they were just trying to get some get rest. Some snaps but, for him, yeah. But Jalen's a rookie. Right. He needs every stab he can get in case Carson goes down. Yeah, and, and now if you're saying, okay, Jalen's the guy, we're moving forward with Jalen, why aren't you going to see what Jalen can do? Right. It, 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 there, there's a, a fracturing of that relationship. 
it's probably not able to put back together. I would coaches say. do this shit all the time too, man. Don't Coach, they? They do. And I think um, coaches and general managers in the NFL and to some extent in college, they lack a real knowledge of the locker room. Uh-huh. Um, they, they'll make a, they'll cut a guy sometimes who fans go, yeah, well, what was the big deal? He was a backup safety. Right. That backup safety might have been the glue in the locker room yeah. that kept like two groups, maybe the DBs, uh, DBs and O-line, and O-line together as friends yeah. doing stuff. Yeah. And when that fractures, you lose part of your locker room uh, vibe, that, that thing that yep. holds that cohesiveness, that glue. And that's the thing that general managers got to get better at is understanding. And, and so do the coaches at understanding that, that the relationship, that dynamic within a locker room that you can't just cut a guy cause uh-huh. he's not your guy anymore. He might be the reason everything's happening in there that for the good. Now, it could be the cancer, and you got to get rid of them. Right. But most of them don't really know that one either. Uh-huh. They keep cancers. They get rid of good guys or vice versa without really knowledge of how the dynamic is being affected in the locker room. Yeah, and that was really surprising to me from Doug Peterson, a former player, a former backup quarterback. I'm like, dude, really? Did you? Did you think this one through, Doug? Yeah, did you think <laughs> that through? You just – now you just – I'm sure there might have been some conversation behind the scenes of, hey, Jalen, I want to get Nate some reps today. But Nate's a fifth-year guy. How about, more importantly, did he think about the look? Now, you and I don't care what people think, uh-huh. but our organization has to care what people think because they, yeah. they, they make their money right. on fans. Yeah. Did they wonder what the eye test was going to tell people? Uh-huh. It tells people you're tanking. It yeah. tells people you don't care. Yeah. That I'm paying dollars for that product, no way. Yeah. So that was where even if they had some sort of conversation prior, it's gonna sour because of the realistic the, the eyeball test, the, yeah. the visuals of this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have any because I, I had a definitely a, a personal experience, a very first hand experience of completely fractured relationships with coaches. throughout my career did you have that yeah i did i did um i had it in kansas city i had moved whatever position they needed to apply i mean Uh i I went in there as a right tackle and played almost the whole first year we went 13 and 3 lost in the playoffs had a really good year the next year i had to go from right tackle to about the second game i started at left guard and then two days late two games later i was starting at left tackle and I did that through the whole season as people because we didn't have backups. Uh-huh. We had a backup center. We really didn't have backup guards or tackles, and I had played them all in my career. So I did it. Well, at that point, they decided after that year, okay, I was going to be the starting left tackle. I had to have a surgery, and they were afraid that I wouldn't come back from it. Mm. Uh, they were in the middle of renegotiating my salary, and it was going to be great because I was going to be a paid left tackle. I'm uh-huh. like, yeah, this yeah, is sweet. Yeah, this is what good. I want. <laughs> Okay, it didn't happen, and they drafted a left tackle, or so mm. they thought. Great kid, one of the best people I've ever been around. I mentored him, knowing he was taking my job. But what ended up happening is then the coach, the head coach, talked in the press how, you know, I, it, it, we might start this guy over Glenn Park. And I was like, and I went in and yeah. I said, I deserve to hear that news before the media got yeah. that news. Yeah. I've been nothing but a loyal servant here, change position, do whatever it takes, and you do that. And he lost it. He flipped out on me, and I just said, here's what I'm going to tell you. I've mentored this kid. He's a right tackle, not a left. And, you you know, he's a great great human being. I, I mean, still friends with him this day. I said, but we're done. Mm. And he threatened, oh, I'll take this baseball bat. And I said, oh, you ain't going to do that. And I, was like, uh-huh. <laughs> and I left, and I knew right then and there, there was almost no way I was coming back to that team. I did. I left as a free agent. And they had the nerve to say, there's no way anybody's paying you that. And they thought my agent was making a ploy to get them to give me more money. 
And I said, Tom. see ya. Yep, Tom. Yeah. And I said, see ya. And I was gone. I went to the Giants. And they paid me. And we went to the Super Bowl the next year. And I got to just say, there you go, boys. I love Every that, team dude. I went to, I got, we got a little better. Every team I left got a little worse. So I, I, feel, I take a lot of pride in that. Hell yeah, dude. Um, well, I think that's a really valuable thing to, to hit on. Because I think, you know, for me in particular, it was a really dark day when I saw the business of football confronting the game I loved. Right. You know? And so how did you, did you look at it as a business thing? I mean, you obviously put your foot down and said, hey, fuck that. That's not cool that you did that. Because it, it, here's why. It, it, here's why I didn't view it as a business thing. If it was business, come to me and tell me, uh-huh. like a man. Uh-huh. Don't go to the press and tell them yep. and have me find out that way because yep. you didn't want to know what I might be thinking. Yeah. That that is the difference when i was in when i was in buffalo i knew towards the end of my run there that i was paid a lot they had people they thought could do the job i knew better but that's hindsight uh-huh. and i said i'm gonna i'm gonna be a salary cap i knew it uh-huh. that's business decision that's fine they yeah. let me go i was picked up the next day i was off to kansas city starting for them thank you very much no pay cut nothing got my whole way i went happy as a clam this was not this was an uh, uh this was a either an omission or a purposeful omission that they didn't care what I had given them. Uh-huh. So yeah. Yeah. that's different in my world. I, I don't mind. You come that. and talk to me like a man. Yeah. Okay, that's business decision. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. You're paying this kid a lot. You know, he's a first-round pick. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah. Man, that hits hard for me, man. Is in Jacksonville. It was my last year in Jacksonville. I worked my way back from this – uh, infection in my disc right. came after surgery busted my ass came back I'm starting at left guard first game of the year I get a dude thrown into my left ankle low high ankle sprain I'm getting the the team docs are saying ah you could be ready in two to three weeks second opinion from outside doctors are like man this is like a six week recovery right yeah I get rushed back I bust my ass. I'm rushing back. I'm doing it for the team. Yeah, it's your ethos. It's what you want to do. Yeah, they're saying, hey, man, we need you. We need you. I'm like, I believe it. I want to be there for the team. This is who I am my whole life. I bust my ass. I come back. I'm all week in practice. I'm saying, guys, man, I can't really push off to my right. I can't put my left ankle. I got no power in it. I can't move to my right. Right. I'm playing left guard. That's a big deal. They're saying, no, it's going to be okay, man. We'll give you what you need before the game. We'll tape it up. It'll be good. I'm like, okay, I'm just letting you know. It it feels like shit. Get into the game. We're playing the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm going up against Geno Atkins, a fucking all-pro D-tackle, getting my ass kicked. Right, yeah. That's that's humbling in itself. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting my ass kicked. Don't care how hurt you are, it hurts. Yeah, and all week I felt pretty confident because the year before I had dominated this guy. Right. And so I'm like, okay. Here we are, game time, getting my ass kicked. Halftime, they bench me. I hear this. There's this huge commotion. My O-line coach is in a fucking, almost a physical brawl with our head coach because I could tell there's a fight going on. Right, and you know what it is now. Yeah, yeah, of course. And so my O-line coach comes in, and he's just like huffing, and he's like, Eb, we're going to sit you down for the rest of the half for the next half uh, and and then the head coach comes in he's like Eb, uh you clearly weren't ready was that coughlin 
at that time? No, no. That, our head coach oh, now right. was Before, Mike Malarkey because Jack, Jack right. Del Rio, who I loved, right. who brought me to Jacksonville, he had been fired the year before, and they they brought in Mike Malarkey, who completely wasted everybody's time <laughs> for a year. Hey, true and, to his name, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, right? Uh, and so he comes in and he says, Ed, uh, we need to. We you need you need some more rest, man. We're gonna sit you down for the second half, put the young guy in, and uh, you know we need to get you back. We need to get you back healthy. So I'm like, I'm still on. I'm I'm almost bursting into tears. Sure, yeah. Because I'm so heartbroken. You laid it on the line. You yeah, put it all out for him. Exactly. And they screw you. After the game. After the game. I hear in the news that Mike Malarkey, the head coach, says, ah, yeah, the left guard spot's up for grabs. And I go, really? Okay, bitch. Yeah. That week, I'm back. I'm feeling myself. I'm getting back into the groove. Work my ass off. Earn the left guard. I guess earn it back, I guess, because I, I, no one told me I'd lost it right. officially. <laughs> earn it back. I have a great game against Chicago. We go on our bye week, come back play against the Raiders. The team is really in dismal shape. I mean, I think at that point maybe we're 1 and 5, 1 oh, and 6. Miserable. Everybody's already, you know, planning their off season. Right, yeah. Which is a horrible place to be. I thank God I've never been there. Oh so. my God, Glenn, I've been there enough for the both of us now. <laughs> it's a miserable place to be. So we come back, go out to Oakland, play the Raiders. I don't have a great game, but not a terrible game, but they decide to bench me after that game. And at this point, man, with, you know, this O-line coach who stuck around through the transition, who had been my O-line coach throughout, Andy Heck, God bless him. I love Great him. Great coach. Great guy. Awesome coach. Maybe one of the best coaches I've ever had. Uh, I love Andy to death. But Andy, you know, Andy couldn't really give me an answer of what was going on, you know. And I knew I wasn't. Physically, I was beat to shit. My ankle was fucked up. I was coming off this back injury. And for people that don't know, you know, a back injury, most people can identify with. They, they hurt their sciatic. They don't want to uh-huh. do anything. It hurts. Yeah. But a high ankle sprain is such a sports type. Yeah. You can roll your ankle play and pick up basketball. It's not a high ankle. Yeah. A high ankle sprain is very much a, it's a, it's so, anybody listening that doesn't really realize it. It it's needs so, surgery. It's so debilitating. Uh-huh. It is just the most painful darn thing, and you have you're like when you said you have no strength, you have no strength, no stability. There's nothing there. Yeah. It's as if you've been amputated from the ankle down for yeah. six or eight weeks. Yeah, exactly. So I get benched, and the head coach, you know, won't has nothing to say to me. O line coach can't really tell me anything. Everyone else is just you know, and, and my in that moment. I'd given my whole life to this game. Right. You know, yeah. I'd given everything I had to this team, to these people. I looked at coaches for a long time, you know, and this is part of my growth and my realization of my part in things, but I looked at these guys as father figures. You Certainly. Know? These were my, this, this game was my God, you know, and I gave everything I had to it. And so to have this experience of, being completely in my experience or in my feeling exiled from the team because I was kind of like gone from starter, even the golden child where guys were on the team were saying, Eb, the coaches love you, man. You're literally the golden child here. Right. Yep. And I'm going, ah, man, come on. And then to go to this guy who had been benched, who was now deemed basically uh, in my turn, in my mind's eye, because I'd always been a starter and a super and a leader of every team I'd been on, 
now I'm part of the reason we're losing and we're not being, you know, we're not winning. I was destroyed, you know. That's a tough transition, I imagine. Yeah, man. And I was really, after that fourth year, I was really like, you know what? I'm fucking done with this. I remember speaking to you during that time and and you went to the Bears and you you did well. Uh Um, But I remember hearing a very big change in your voice. And and my wife and I were worried about you talking about that Uh. very thing is that you had changed your your demeanor everything about you and you you just said it best you were destroyed yeah. it just yeah i'm i'm lucky i i i say i'm lucky i don't really believe in luck so i'm not i i was blessed to start the way i did with the people i did in football yeah. at junior college mm-hmm. and I did the same thing for a while where you trust everything they say to you because uh-huh. their father figures the trainers are your trainers because in college your trainers don't look to hurt you they look yeah. to help you yeah and then it takes you a while and you hear this stuff and you start, you don't want to be the jaded guy like yeah. so many others. And then you start realizing, wait a minute, they're pushing me on the field because it's about dollars. It's not about me. Uh-huh. It's about dollars. One of the things that I think has changed for the better when we talk about the game and the constant changes is guys now are much more proactive in seeking second opinions. Yeah. Even you, you went out and got second opinions. That was very rare uh-huh. when I played. Well, that was Tom, you, you know. know. Yeah. And, you know, you didn't get, you just, you listened to what they said and you did it. Well, yeah. Guys today are smart. They're uh-huh. empowered. I'm going to get a second or third opinion. I'm going to do what's right. But yeah. what's lacking then is that warrior ethic. The warrior and, ethic. Yeah, and I don't. And I don't. And we're not really warriors, but that we're playing for each other. We're giving ourselves, giving of ourselves for each other. That's gone uh-huh. with all the me, me, me of the social yeah. media yeah. and going for second opinions. Yeah, and that's tough. That's that's where I see the game has really changed because it's not. And, and let's face it: if you've ever been to a, an NFL game or even watched it once you've played in it. You can tell today's NFL different. It is not violent. It is not physical compared to when we play. Yeah. I'll show highlights to my kids, and they'll be like, "I wish it was like that still to this day." Because uh-huh. we are not even allowed to hit. We can't even do this. We can't do that. Yeah. You know. And back yeah. then, it was no holds barred. Get yeah. in there and smash. Yeah, man. Yeah, totally. That's uh, uh, absolutely true. That's what I've been seeing. Um, it was that warrior mindset. You know, yeah. I don't give a fuck. I'm going because my boys need me. I'm yeah, out there. I'm out there. Yeah, the shoulders fucked up, backs yeah. fucked up. I'm I'm out there. And you know, it's funny you say that because <laughs> I never got carted off the field once of all the injuries I had, and I had a bunch. Uh-huh. My rules: I'm not getting carted off this field, I and I I never did. I'm proud of that fact. I walked yeah. off my every field I ever played on, and nobody carted me off anywhere. Oh my god! But look what it did to my body, and that's my responsibility, isn't it? Uh huh. <laughs> I did that. Too. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, wow. It's really interesting to hear you say that Glenn, because thinking back, I kind of went through this wormhole back into that time and I had, I was so destroyed, you know, I was so completely destroyed through that experience. And, you know, looking back, that's why I think it was so, I, I went to Chicago, had a great year. Really found the magic of the game. Fell in love with the game again. I was a sixth man, swing tackle, and they put me in this tremendous blocking tight end, monster tight end spot. And, I mean, even to the point where the Chicago Tribune wrote this huge article about how much more productive the offense was when I was in. Right. It was awesome. I got to play 20 to 30 snaps a game. It was was great. You should still be playing at 20 to 30 snaps I know, dude. I know. (laughs) And then the next year, all the shit, like the coaching, weird ego shit took over you know yeah we weren't preparing the same we had been a a record-setting offense that first year i was there and then all of a sudden we weren't we just weren't preparing the same you know from the coaching on on down 
you know, and everything shifted and it was a lot was taken for granted. I even got cut after training camp or after preseason was over. I got cut from that from the Bears my second year fell into that hole again because I again I had been fooled into these expectations of these are my family these are my people these coaches won't do what the last coach So you fooled did. yourself into exactly. that thinking right yeah Exactly Yeah And that was all my doing and then uh of course week 1 3 3-0, 3-0 linemen go down in the first quarter of the game and by the second quarter the GM's calling me saying hey Eb uh, you still in town? We we want to sign you back. Yeah, my cost has gone up considerably. Yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, motherfucker, I'm yeah. here. Yeah. Um, so I signed back, but you know, again, I I I had been, you know, and this is maybe my fault, but I had been really disillusioned with the business of the game, you know, and uh, I was worn out by that, and that wasn't. You know, maybe that's that's part of my issue to this day. Well, well, let's let's talk about your transition out. And mm. you said it took you a while. What it was it because of that that took you a while? And you know, you're young, mm-hmm. but you made a great transition. I I followed you. I follow your podcast. I follow you know on a lot of multi uh, different media platforms, and and you you've changed who you are so much. Your being, mm. how was that transition? What happened? Um, you know, I say it was painful. I don't I don't think looking at it it really hasn't taken that long. I'm just impatient. Right. You know. Yeah. So one thing that happened that, you know, really resonates with me about your story Glenn is uh my second year in the league dislocated my shoulder twice in this game against the Chiefs. Had to have season-ending shoulder surgery. But during that uh during that time off I met the music director of the local NPR station and he brought me and he said, Hey, Eb, I was doing a, a charity event and he said, Eb, why don't you come in? You could pump up your event, bring in a playlist of music. I'd love to show you around, you know, show you around the studio, teach, awesome. you know, all this stuff. Love to talk about your event, etc." I said, man, that's awesome. I'd love to, I go in there and I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with the radio medium. I fell in sure. love with, using my voice and putting together a cool story over this audio platform. And so you actually, the thing that people who might know you from the podcast or Mike Tyson and all those things, what they don't understand is, so you actually did prepare yourself for transition. Yeah. And you were a creative writing major. Yeah. So your storytelling is already well above most people's. Uh You get into this medium that now you have, let's say, in reality, the transition then is forgetting your old life Yes. To embrace your new one. Exactly. Exactly. And that's where you have to get into one of the things we talked about is too many people live where they're looking in their rearview mirror all the yeah. time. And so yeah. you, so it gives you great anxiety because once, if you're always looking in the rearview mirror, you don't see the road ahead. Mm-hmm. And some people, you know, they get tunnel vision. All they can see is the mountains up ahead. Right. And they're not seeing the road ahead either. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, that's that living right now. Uh-huh. And that right now, what can I be and what yeah. can I do? Yeah. And, and learning to stop looking at the rearview mirror constantly. Yeah. Just now and then peak. So it gives you a reminder of where you're at and uh-huh. who's around you. Yeah. That's, that's the driving in life are a lot of very similar things, man. Wow, dude. It's really, it's a great analogy. Um, you know, I guess the, the painful thing for me was I had this vision of my football career. You know, and I felt only, and this is personally, you know, I felt I came in, I wanted to play for 10 years. Yeah. I wanted to play for a decade. 
I didn't get to do that. I mean, really, I was done. I could have kept going. I had calls that la- that off season after my sixth year in the league. I had calls from the Falcons and the Bills and every you know I had workouts and I could have kept it going, but I just my heart wasn't in it anymore. Right. Yeah. You know, I remember this moment in Chicago, sitting there watching film, and I'm going, "What? Am- I feel like shit. What am I doing here now?" You know, like, I don't really love this anymore. You know, I think you know? a lot of football players have that in their life. Uh-huh. Um, it's sometime in their career. Yeah. And can they get over it? Some yeah. do, some don't. Some uh-huh. find that passion again in another way, whatever it is. Right. Uh, that's hard. That, that you know, yeah. it, it, one of the biggest injustices done to anybody, and particularly now we hear it all the time, and it's the worst advice anybody can ever give is, oh, just find something you're passionate about. Uh-huh. That's the biggest lie ever perpetrated on in humanity. You I were good that. at football. And you became passionate about it because you were good at it. Mm. Mm. You're, you got into creative writing. You have a talent for it. And radio, you went in and all of a sudden you were good at radio. You didn't have a passion for radio prior to being in radio. That's true. That's very true. You didn't work to get in radio. It, yeah. it just happened that be, you were good at it. So you developed a passion yeah. for it. Honestly, and, can I say that just to, just to something that occurred to me in what you're saying, because I think it's so true, because I, I find myself saying that. What do you, what fills you with joy? What fills you, what do you, what are you passionate about? But I remember I'm passionate about people. I'm passionate about relating with people, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And that can, that can blossom into any career. That's right. Really. Yeah. You know? It, unfortunately, most people are saying, oh, follow your passion. Cause that's, mm-hmm. well, all you have to do is watch American Idol. There's a lot Don't of people really passionate about music that yeah. have no talent and will never be good yes. at singing. Yes. Find what you're good at and develop a passion for yeah. it. Yeah. And guess what? Then every day is a joy. Every day, it's fun and easy. Uh-huh. I didn't want to coach when I stopped playing football. I was asked to coach multiple times. I didn't want to do it because mm-hmm. I wanted to raise my children. I wanted to be there and be a father because, you know, kids of coaches don't always fare real well. Yeah. Um, coaches don't get to see their family very yeah. much. They're, they have a bunch of other kids they take care of, not their own. And I knew I didn't want that. Mm-hmm. I didn't want those hours. I wanted to, I wanted, I was, I, 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 I was good at, at radio, TV, and sports, and I wanted to follow that passion. Mm-hmm. I have found in the last 10 years, I'm actually good at coaching. Mm. And so, yeah, definitely so my coaches, and maybe even the last 15 years, my coaches saw that in me, wanted me to do it. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I've gone back. I'm good at coaching, and I have developed a passion for it now. I could not have done it when I first got out. I would have had no passion for that job. It's really interesting. I might have been good at it, but I wouldn't have had a passion. I would have hated every moment of my life. Uh, yep, yep. Well, that's – I had so many coaches tell me that too, man. Right. Uh, and In my last couple of years in Chicago – Every coach would be like, Ed, you're, you're brilliant, man. You, you'd be an incredible coach one day. And I was like, yeah, okay. So coming out of my career, what did I do? I went right back to my high school, got a coaching job. There you go. Hated it. Hated it. Hated it. I'm like, <laughs> what am I doing here? You know? <laughs> you weren't helping the kids. You no, weren't doing anything you wanted. No, no, no. I wasn't helping the kids at all. Yeah. You know? And uh, But now it's interesting you say that, man, because – just being here and getting some clarity, uh, getting some space out here in the desert, back in, you know, feeling my feet on the ground here. I'm like, man, maybe I'd be a teacher. There you I'm go. Down to be a teacher. Yeah. I mean, it's coaching. It's yeah. What it is. Yeah, of course. Um, 
you know, with football, I just found myself, I'm not, I'm less interested in talking to the kids about X's and O's and more interested in talking to them about how to be men. But see, that's what coaches, that's what we need in coaches. Right. I know. That's what my coaches always did. Not pro. Pro's a different animal. Yeah. But my, my JC and yeah. My JC coach filled in holes that I didn't know I had. Even my dad didn't know I had. You know, right. Dads do the best job they know how. Of course. And there, you know, my dad really didn't have much of a dad either. I mean, he had him, but he, in uh-huh. their pot, you know, all of it, I could go on. It yeah, yeah, of story. course. But I, you just try to be the best dad you can because there's no there's no pamphlet for the best dad. You just don't yeah. get one. You don't get they don't yeah. hand you one at the hospital saying to be the best dad do this. Yeah. <laughs> so coaches fill that role to see to fill the holes in you that yeah. that make you more of a man. Mm-hmm. And I had some of those holes, and my very first coaches did that for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm so thankful for them because yeah. then I then it was pretty easy from that. Yeah. I still they, my wife will tell you there's still some holes. <laughs> yeah, of course. Oh my god. I, but those ones are the ones I don't want to fill. There will always be <laughs> holes, man. Um. But I guess just to round it out, my transition really became about giving my spe- giving myself the time to let go of all of that, to forgive myself for anything anything I felt I owed myself. Because at the end of the day, man, my whole football career was about proving to everyone else how big and badass I was. Gotcha. And yep. that fucking destroyed me, you know, because right. at the end of the day, I made it to the highest level on the planet in the game that I had grown to love. And I wasn't enough for myself, you know? Right. I yeah. wasn't, you that's, know? that's powerful that you admit that to yourself. Well, what brought you to that realization? Um, just a lot of, you know, a lot of time without it and time away and the distance and meditation. And, you know, I've become pretty spiritual. I, I know I, I follow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just going within man and going, Oh yeah. Okay. This thing that I was doing, I don't have anything to prove, you know? I have nothing really to prove anymore. I'll just let me do what calls to me. You know, I want to spread my message. I want to spread the message of finding yourself. Because at the end of the day, man, we need people who are empowered in their truth on this planet right now. That's correct. We need people who are confident in themselves. We don't need more sheep. We don't need more cogs in the machine. There's plenty of those. We've got a lot of them. Yeah. And so if I can use my story and my platform to awaken people into their truth of themselves, of who they are, to find their passion, to live a passion-seeking life rather than the blueprint that they have for everybody to do, go get your 9-to-5 job, man. Get your college diploma. Go find a 9-to-5 job. Make money. Get married. Do that thing. You know. it, it's up to the individual what that thing is uh-huh. right and you you found yours now and you're yeah. you know what it is that you're doing uh i i think we talked we, we went into a lot of social media but that's one of the downsides of social media nobody posts negative stuff uh-huh. i have the greatest life look at me on instagram yeah. I'm, I'm just come on now <laughs> you know really the, you know who's the winner in life it's the guy who who dies with no regrets totally and totally you, you know the, the the hobo living under the pier in huntington beach if he has no regrets he's winning totally it's not about things. It's not about. It's yeah. not about proving that. Look at I get to wear a Rolex. Look at I can drive a cool car. Look at I got this. Those are things. Yeah. It's it's really about how you are with your own self. Yeah. And if you're okay and you're good, life's great, man. Yeah, man. All right, Glenn. To round this thing out, man. Hit us with three, three action items. Three 
Maybe it's a mindset. Maybe it's a mantra. Maybe it's an actual thing someone can do. Three things if you find yourself in transition or you find yourself really stuck in a rut. You're unhappy with the with where your life is at. What are three things someone can do right now to change their life for the better to get back on the path of their destiny? Oh, wow. That's, that's heavy to come up that quickly. I have processed things, but I would say identify what your dream is. Mm. Identify what goals will get you to your dream mm. and take responsibility mm. without fear of failure for making each goal happen in time. Too many people, luck, best thing I ever, ever said to me was right when I went out for football, Dennis Dixon looked me in the eye and said, so you want to play football here at Golden West and get a scholarship to play and you've never played before? And I go, yeah. And he goes, well, why not the NFL? And I thought he was making fun of me and he wasn't. He goes, well, if you're going to dream, let's dream mm-hmm. and I'm, we're going to have a process. Mm-hmm. And so, and I really was upset when he said that. He's like, he's making fun of me. I just want to go to, I just want to get, get college paid for, man. And he said, no, here's what you need to do. And he started out with make your bed every morning. Okay, after a week, come see me. And it was, you brush your teeth, make your bed, all these little pro- things. And he uh-huh. goes, see, you've already accomplished a bunch of goals when we started laying it out. And he goes, those are process things. Those are things, but they're still goals. And you tick them off, you get that little dopamine hit. Ooh, mm. did that, cook, it's off the list. It's like likes on Facebook. Ooh, look at all my likes. Mm-hmm. That's how those things work. It's the yeah. algorithm of giving you dopamine. Yep. But in real life, if you have a checklist of things you do every day, you get this dopamine where you want to do more. Yeah. And then you say, okay, what's the next thing on my list? Well, it's, you know, whatever it's have your lunch and do your studying and it's, it's getting my training and then it's, or being at the training room and then it's getting taped and it's being a practice and it's practicing every rep with a purpose. Mm. You start learning to identify all, instead of getting less goals as you move, you actually get more goals Yeah. because you realize that process leads to the dream. Mm. And by just focusing on my processes, my, oh. those little things I wanted to do every day, I reached my dream. So powerful. And that's, I think the, and that's what I did when it came to broadcast. Yep. It's what I've done now with speaking and coaching. I have this process, and sometimes I'll be the first to admit it. I'm not great at following through at this day and age like I was when I was younger. And it's not my children's fault or my wife's fault. It's my fault because I find my mind drift into weird stuff. <laughs> like, as we all do, I man. Oh, I want to go do that now. Yeah, as we all do. <laughs> and then that's a, that's, you know what that is? That's a, that's a factor of that comfort we talk about. Yeah. I'm comfortable. Yeah. I'm just doing this because I really kind of have a passion for it. And I really, I'm good at it. And I, I'm developing a, this passion for it. But it's like, uh, you know what? Oh, I'd rather go take that trail out in the desert uh-huh. and go see what's over there. Definitely. You know, man. that's hard. That's always me, man. I'd rather go for a walk in the desert. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think we would be, I'd, I'd be missing out if I didn't ask you about the fear of failure. Yeah. How to break that down. How to break it down. Uh, or it, what is it? Or what do we do with that? People, so there's a, there's a couple things with failure that people have. You know, they say, well, if I try this and I'm not good at it, such and such, they're going to laugh at me. Mm. Well, you're, you're no different than when you started it just because you tried something new and failed doesn't mean you are now less at what you're good at Mm. you just tried something new Mm -hmm. i'm still good at all the things i'm good at when i try something new and fail Mm. if we admit that we know nothing when we go in then failure is easy to accept because it becomes a learning issue not a failure issue well i didn't know anything about you know podcasting to begin with right 
So I failed, but I learned how not to do a podcast. So now I'm going to, I'm going to change it and fix some things and see if I can get success this way. When you go in understanding that you can't fear it and that you have to embrace this thing that I know nothing about. See, that's again, taking that responsibility. When people say, Oh, I know a little bit. No, you don't. Mm. There's millions of people around here that know a little bit about football. They don't really know anything. As you know, a million people watch the game and they know football, but they don't understand football. Yeah. So just admit you know nothing. It's mm. like going to Mexico to learn the language as opposed to being in a classroom. Mm. It's a lot easier to learn down in Mexico because you know nothing and they know you know nothing. <laughs> you can't BS your way through when yeah. you're in Mexico trying to speak Spanish. I love that. They're going to find out you know nothing. So you might as well just go, okay, this is how I'm going to learn. Yeah. So immerse yourself, admit you know nothing, and learn from it. And guess what? Success comes uh, leaps and bounds. Oh, so That's so powerful, man. Reframing failure it's not an issue about failing it's an issue about how much you know and you're learning you're learning yeah I, I, look at kids don't ever get upset that they failed you, you have you have a child mm -hmm. that toddler will try to walk a million times falling down and we all giggle and laugh he doesn't stop trying yeah and then he'll try forever to open the door yeah. and he'll finally get it mm. and then it's all these things if you look at a toddler through you know teenager the things they have to learn and the things they have to fail at to learn they never stop trying. Yeah. Why aren't we always like that? Yeah. Because suddenly it becomes more important what that guy thinks of me while I'm trying uh. than just trying. Uh -huh. And then once you don't have to think about it anymore. All those things that that little kid had to try and fail out a million times doesn't even think about it anymore and does successfully every day, and that's you. Yep. You know how to get up and walk and open a door, and you don't even think about it. Yeah. Wow. Dude, I love that. Well, thanks. I like being here. Yeah. It's a cool space, man. It is, man. It's fun here. It's really inspiring, you know, to be with my dad and his girlfriend in their studio here. It's got art all over the walls. It's, Everywhere. They've really, you know, I've learned so much from my dad because for as long as I can remember, he's just followed his heart and he's followed his passion. And He's made a life of it. Yeah, he know? has. He really has. You know, it's and he's remarkable. good at it. Let's face oh, that. Yeah. You know? yeah It'd be amazing. hard to make a life if you sucked as an artist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's it's great to have him here. Dude, it's so good to spend time with you, Gwen. As always, man. Thanks. And I'm, I'm glad we've, we've reconnected after Me a short too. break. It's been great. And I've been following you and very impressed with how you've transitioned. I know it, it, in, it seems like in your mind it took forever. In my mind, it was yesterday that you were you were playing at the U and going off to the NFL. Yeah, and we were talking about all that transition and what that was going to be like. And yeah, yeah, you've you've impressed me, man. You know, Thanks, you're a writer. Man. It's that circle. You know, I went from I, I wrote my own story. I was the hero. I had a mentor. I was the hero. Well, then I got to be the mentor a little bit. Uh -huh. and now here you are. You got to be the hero, and now you're being the mentor, kind of to me when it comes to some of this other stuff going on. Oh, so it's, it's kind of cool. That's that's, that's that arc of a story. Right? Yeah, it's all over the world. On. I love it, man. Uh, well, thank you, dude. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. I'd love this. We'll this do it again. Time. I hope so. We got a lot more to talk. Yeah, man. And uh, I'll definitely, we'll get you squared away because you, you know, you need to have your own podcast. Man. <laughs> oh, thanks. I, you know, I keep being told that. So maybe one of these days we'll get it done. Oh, you do, man. You're so sharp and you're so, you're such a fluid thinker and, you know, you got so much wisdom, man. See, my knowledge. family called it BS the whole <laughs> yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, My course. whole life. They said, you're just a BS. That's just perspective. Exactly, man. You know? Yeah. I live my life. I live it by those tenets. So That's something's going it. right. Yeah, man, definitely. Um, well, I appreciate you. Thank you, man. I Thank do too. You. Likewise. Really grateful for your friendship, for your mentorship. 
I'm really grateful that I can hit you up and we could just get together like this. Man, this has been fantastic. I thank yeah. you, too. It gives me a, a little pep in my step all day because of this. Awesome, man. Me, too. Uh, and thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for supporting me in this show. If this episode resonated with you, if you got something out of it like I did, please share it with your friends and family. Uh, that is the greatest way you can support me in this show other than listening and subscribing and reviewing on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to this podcast on. Thank you guys again. Lots of love to you all. Stay in your power. Find that thing, man. Find what you're passionate about. Keep breathing. We're going to get through this thing together. Lots of love. I'll see you all on the flip side. Peace.